Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This is the Action Network Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM. The golf edition, of course. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is Justin Ray from the 21st Group, and we have plenty to talk about. We'll get to the Travelers Championship. We'll get to our five questions of the week. I've got five uh, questions related to uh, Justin and I's uh, our, our old background, our, our our old stomping grounds. But uh, first, let's review uh, the U.S. Open. John Rahm's first career major championship comes from behind birdie birdie down the stretch some great stuff great theater great drama at Torrey Pines Louis Oosthuizen a bridesmaid once again a sixth career runner-up finish uh, Brooks fell off the pace Bryson fell off the pace Rory fell off the pace everybody fell off the pace there was some crazy stuff going on on Sunday so let's get into all of it Jay Ray what's going on how was the week for you it was great Sunday at one point most of the metropolitan area of greater San Diego was within three shots of the lead I don't know. You were on site all week, but there was a great there's a great beer ad that Phil Nicholson had that came out where he answers the phone and he rattles off all these different names. Nut nut, you old dog. And he it's it anyway. When you see it, it'll make sense. And then he rattles off all the names. That was the names of half the guys within two shots of the lead at one point. <laughs> Eleven names rattled off. Um, awesome finish, unbelievable. I mean, it looked like everybody was involved with about nine holes to play. And then the U.S. Open broke out and everybody kind of fell apart. I mean, Bryson shoots 44 on the back. I can't remember ever a guy going for back-to-back wins in the same major and putting up Henry Aaron on the back. I I just, I don't, it's just unbelievable. Really kind of unforeseen there. I thought Colin Morikawa, I mean, he looked like he was going to win his second major in his seventh major start. He would have been the first guy in the modern era to ever do that. There was, I mean, there was, in my research dig up notes mode, so it's less exciting, but when there's like one or two clear guys who look like they're going to win, I can ha- focus on that and hammer it home. I have no chance yesterday until about an hour left in the golf tournament. There's a list of about 20 guys who might have won that championship. So um, there's a sign of just how exciting it was. John Rahm, the first U.S. Open champion to birdie the final two holes since Tom Watson, 39 years to the day. Mm. Uh, don't see it very often. What an awesome finish. Um, how was your week out in San Diego, man? The week was great. Yeah, we had, by the way, people calling our radio show today saying, 
NBC didn't show enough Harris English. And I'm like, well, because he wasn't in it until the last two holes when he made birdies. Like, you've got to understand how, the process of how this stuff happens. I'm guessing at some point on Sunday, Harris English was not in the top 15. So like, you can't know. He started in 14th place. There you go. Okay, you can't know. Like early in the day, hey, that guy, that one guy, he might move up. So we should probably show him a bunch of shots early. I just, it's weird how it happens. My week was great out there. Worked my butt off, not complaining about it. Had a great time doing a ton of radio stuff. We we're doing the pregame show every day. Me, Sleaze, and McCord on the radio for three hours every There's day. There's a Motley oh, crew. Boy, I can't believe we still have jobs uh, because uh, within. So within the first five minutes of the first show that we all did together, McCord was speaking about players trying to, uh, you really got to hit your short putts hard, but that gets tougher uh, as the scar tissue builds up and you get older. He said, yeah, it's really hard to bang when you get older. And me and Sleaze are just like, "Uh, you can't (laughs) say that. Then he started talking about, because he grew up in the area, he started talking about how used to work at uh, a surf company, surfboard company doing like surf wax and stuff. And he said, uh, yeah, I was just, you know, I spent my whole youth just rubbing out blanks. And we're like, no, no, <laughs> you can't say that McCord. I like, have no, to no, give it's you a surfboard my, thing. I have to give you my favorite McCordism then. Mm. It was like, it might've been 12, 13 years ago, but it was at TBC Scottsdale. And he was talking about the false front on one of the greens. And his line was, and you guys know Scottsdale is a city that could appreciate a good false front. Oh, boy. That's good. That's good. Mrs. Off-Color, you know, you know, livens up the broadcast a little bit. Maybe it, over the years it may have got a little bit sticky sometimes. But I, I always enjoyed him. So I'm glad you got to spend some time with him. He, and, uh, he's an absolute gem. Awesome. I mean, there, uh, yeah. there were a lot of stories that started, you know, back in 65. <laughs> maybe it was 66 no i think it was 65 actually that 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 would be the first part of the story and then it would go from there and i'm just it's great he's a legend we had a great time but speaking of how crazy the final round was um this was my this is my crazy meter this is my one story to just kind of you know sort of tell the tale of it and I, i tweeted this out earlier but uh guido migliazzi great name Good dude. Outstanding I, I man. Spoke, spoke with him. You talked to him afterwards. He was T9 when he walked off the golf course. Interviewed him for the radio coverage. And uh, first I said it was awesome watching him fist pump his way around the golf course, which was great. I mean, he's fist Strokes gained cars. fist pump out through the roof. Yeah. He is your global leader. Just the efficiency and ferocity of his fist pumps. Really admired. So he's done. Broke it out a lot. Broke it out a lot, but I really liked it. He's done probably an hour 15, hour and a half before the final group is going to finish. And at the point when he walks off the golf course, he is T9. So the last question I asked him, I said, hey, you're going to kind of wait around with fingers crossed that you get that top 10, get into this event again next year. He goes, yeah, absolutely. Fingers are crossed. Hopefully, you know, I really loved it. My first major, I want to get back in. So that would be great. Well, an hour and a half later, he was in the Masters. Awesome. Finished T4. What a great feeling. I mean, we're sitting there going like, I, I honestly, I, you know, I didn't want to tell him at the time, but I probably had it less than 50-50. You've got a par five closing hole. Guys should be able to birdie that. And so they're going to come back and, and knock him back down. He's going to go from T9 to T13. And, you know, it's uh, he's going to have to work his way back into the U.S. No, no, he's got the U.S. Open and he's got the Masters invitation for next year, which is less about Guido himself and more about just, how ridiculous 
that closing finish. I mean, we're talking about Daytona 500 with car wrecks everywhere. <laughs> there was six wide coming around turn four, Talladega. Mm. It was, it was, it was a blast, man. It was a really memorable championship. And Torrey Pines, I mean, I know it got his fair share of criticism as a golf course. Okay, Let, let's get. I and get and I'm not look. I'm not golf course guy. I'm definitely yeah. not. What yeah. I was going to say is that it delivered a very memorable championship again. That's ultimately how, in my mind, I end up associating golf courses and major championships. It's not. I'm not. I'm not an architecture guy. I just am not. And so the championship itself is what I remember. And we got another absolute classic, Torrey Pines. Uh, I want to get to John Rahm in a second because there are all sorts of narratives. Uh, but yeah, I want to get to the golf course. I, I get it. I'm not an architecture geek at all. And, and I say that lovingly. I, I wish I was. I, I wish I Me too. I wish I knew more about it, it really. More. And I've yeah. tried and I just like, I don't know. It's pretty good old. Now that's a terrible hole. Why? Uh, because the bunkering does this. It forces your eye this way. Okay. I played a course recently, Chichesi, uh, in South Carolina, where I, I could kind of see like it was the holes would go a little bit left to right, but if you tried to hit a cut, you were hitting into all the trouble. If you hit a draw, you are hitting away from the trouble. And it, it's like one of the first times I've looked at architecture, go, that makes a whole lot of sense. That screws with your eyes, it screws with your perspective, and it makes you want to do something that you don't really want to do. And so I, I kind of understood, like from an architectural standpoint, like, yeah, I get that. Torrey Pines is, it's repetitive. A lot of the holes look alike. There aren't a whole lot of memorable holes, quite honestly. I just watched the entire U.S. Open. I can remember every hole at TBC River Highlands for the upcoming Travelers Championship <laughs> way more than I can at Torrey South. But I don't think it's mutually exclusive that, hey, it's a sort of uninteresting and non-creative architectural golf course. And, yes, it, it can host a major championship and be a really good host. I, you probably don't have the data on this. I'm putting it on the spot. But it <laughs> felt to me like – most U.S. Open venues are just par after par after par. Yes, of course, we get bogeys and there's birdie here. And that. This one felt like there was more opportunity for leaderboard movement, which, of course, we saw on Sunday afternoon, because there were birdies and there were bogeys. It wasn't just a line of par, 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 par on the scorecard. I'll give you two numbers to try to tie some of those thoughts together because I'm with you. Um, I, don't, I didn't look up through four rounds. We kind of got carried away with the finish there. But through three rounds – the differential between the worst score shot of the week and the best score shot was only 15 strokes. Mm, yeah. It was the smallest number through three rounds in the history of the U S open. So that gives you an idea of how many guys were involved. And then it came to fruition with that unbelievable leaderboard we had down the stretch on Sunday Two, When I was combing through all the different contenders through 54 holes, the differential in how you could gain strokes on the field in different ways throughout the week was really incredible. Like Xander Shoffley led the field in strokes gained off the tee, putted terribly, contended. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, awful week off the tee. Like the polar opposite, awful week off the tee, made everything he looked at through three rounds, contended. It was a lot of here and there that you could, you could get in the mix in a lot of different ways and extract shots. And in the end, the guy who won was in the top 20 in everything. He played the best golf tee to green on the greens he was the best player. And ultimately it gave us, it gave us, I, I mean, he is the number one player in the world, but I'd say over the last, what, 12, 18 months, is he the most consistent best player on the planet? He almost is since he turned pro. His win percentage is around 10% or yeah. I think either win percentage is 10% and top three percentages way up there. Like somewhere between he's like between in the, in the Rory, no one's going to be a tiger, but the Rory Phil type range in terms of how successful he's been early on in his career. So um, I'm with you. I, I was, you know, 
I get the criticism of it. I, I, it's like fine art. Like the first time I went to London, I went to their grand art museum because I had a day and I was like, I need to do this. I need to go check out paintings that are older than America, you know? Mm-hmm. And I knew what I was looking at was, was, was important. I, but I'm not, a, I don't know a ton about art history and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not super cultured, man. Like, you know, I listen to rap music when I go lift weights. I don't, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever, I'm me. But I, I, you know, it's like, I don't have the full knowledge base to be able to make any kind of criticisms like that. So I'm in the same boat as you, bud. Yeah. Um, By the way, I've got an analogy for you in a second, but uh, it's ironic that four years ago, uh, and so you're not the only one that thinks Rom doesn't really have a weakness. Four years ago, as Rom was in the process of winning his first career PGA Tour event at Torrey Pines, he had like four or five holes left and Phil had just finished. And I walked up to Phil and I started talking to him. I said, what do you think, Rom? And, you know, knowing that at the time, uh, his brother, Tim, was still Rom's agent and mentor and everything else coming from Arizona State. And Phil said, oh, first of all, he's got no weaknesses. One of the best players in the world already. He hadn't won on the PGA Tour at that point. Phil said, look, and it's what Phil said reminded me of what Ian Poulter said of Rory McIlroy. I was at Doral speaking with Poulter about 12, 13 years ago. And Poulter goes, he hits it long and straight. Hits these launched high irons, dialed right at the stick. His short game is really good, makes a lot of putts, and he's got the right mentality. And Poulter <laughs> threw his arms up. And he goes, that's it. That's golf. There's nothing else. <laughs> if he does all that stuff, he's perfect. That's all it is. And so uh, Phil didn't get as, as animated, but um, he, he said he has no weaknesses. And Phil did say at that point he had already lost some money to Rom at Whisper Rock, and uh, Rom shot 62 it. on him. And Phil said, I will not play against him anymore. I'll take him as my partner anytime. We can play together, but I will not play. I, he just declared. He's like, Rob's like 21, 22 years old. And Phil's like, that guy, that guy right there, I'm not playing against him. Oh, by the way, uh, also, I wrote about this a while ago, but uh, Phil and Colt Nost had a bet. Before Rob turned pro, Phil said, this guy's going to be top 10 in the world in less than a year. And Colt goes, no, that's like impossible. Like, First of all, he's got to get his PGA Tour card. He can't can't go to the Corn Ferry and become top ten. He's like, it's so hard. They it was during a rain delay in Memphis. They were sitting with Dustin Johnson, and Colt pointed at DJ. He's like, that guy right there is really really good. He wasn't top ten in the world within two or three years of getting to the PGA Tour. It's really hard to do. And Phil goes, yeah, I understand that, but I still think he's going to do it. And they made a bet. And eleven months later, Phil collected on his bet because John Rom was top 10 in the world. So Phil knew what he was talking about, man. Knew what he was talking about. Phil knew exactly what he was talking about. So the analogy I was going to get to is that John Rahm was the favorite last week. Started out like plus 1050. was down to probably plus 900 uh, by the time he teed off on Thursday. I did a little informal poll of our media colleagues, a lot of guys who don't bet, but, you know, I said, hey, give me a winner. Like, ah, I really like Rahm. Like, yeah, come on. That's, of course, he's the favorite. Well, yeah, he should be. He's going to win. And of course they were all right to me. This is like going out drinking on new year's Eve where it's like, yeah, okay. It's just kind of, Hey, went out my one night of the year. I went out. Yeah. You went out on the night that everybody else went out and partied picking John Rom to win the U S open was like, Hey, you know, I thought, thought it'd be a good time. I picked John Rom and look, he won. Look what we did. Gambling okay. golf. Keep betting on golf's easy. Easy. Come on. Pick this big guy. who's won there before. 
Oh, it's 100 miles, and the last time he played, he was winning by six shots. Well, pick him. It's just I mean, that's how it all works out, right? How do we? By the way, how do we not throw a bazillion dollars on John Rob just to like outright like everything? I don't know. I hate betting on the favorite man. I, do I, too. I, I, I went down. I didn't go that far down the board. I was on Colton O's XM radio show last week and picked Bryson to win. I said Bryson will win at three under par. That looked great until about the what sixty fourth hole of the tournament. Yeah. That looked really smart. Yep. Um, I'm not like I'm going out that big of a limb to pick a top five player in the world to win a second U.S. Open in a row. But yeah. By the um, way, I, I had Paul Casey who made the cut on the number and had a putt to tie for the lead on Sunday afternoon. So I was going to say, everyone, Phil, listen that Amstel Light ad had a chance to tie. <laughs> Phil Mickelson, can I ask you something? How do I make friends? Look, Greg, even though I'm a massively successful legend of golf, I'm also a man who sometimes struggles to make friends. I thought it was just me. Like you know, sometimes I, oh, hold on. Nut nut, you old dog. Yes, I love it. All the dudes. Invite Marcus, Tom, Cam, Smitty, Potter, Tony, Rick, Hansi, Adsky, Bernsey, Luke, the Deacon Brothers. But How no. many times was the graphic <laughs> on the screen that said, for birdie and co-share the lead. I didn't count it, but it was as, at least as many times as Paul Azinger said the word pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I did not listen. We were, I was outside in the interview area waiting to do interviews all the time. We're watching on TV, but we're also listening to the radio broadcast. I, I heard Zinger was uh, focusing, narrowing his lens on one specific subject throughout the week. Uh, by the way, the, the greatest part about that, because we at Sirius XM, we're doing the coverage and, I say we, but really them. I'm just a very small part, but uh, we could fit in more shots and less amount of time. And it's uh, so I heard on the radio broadcast, Mackenzie Hughes ball stuck in a tree. And I tweeted, man, this round is crazy. All we need is a ball stuck up in a tree. And three minutes later, TV shows a ball stuck up in a tree. And all these people, how did you do that? And I just like to Jeez. tell everyone out there who's listening. It's magic. Cheating the system. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it had everything. It was a great finish. How about Louie? We can't, you know, we got to talk about Louie Ustays in a little bit. The number most telling, six runner-up finish in a major, of course. He is the only player in major championship history with six runner-up finishes in majors and either zero or one wins. He's the only guy. So I think it was 13 other players now with six or more runner-up finishes in majors and they combined to win, I think, like 100 major championships. So um, the list is the best players in the history of golf, you know. So he's put himself in position so many times. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he's there at the open again. I mean, no one would be. Um, it's still just absolutely incredible to me that he's never won in the United States. All right. So a couple of things on Louie here. First of all, it's unbelievable. And, you know, we should probably be less surprised that he gets into contention, more surprised that he doesn't win more. He's got the prettiest swing in the game. I think that's almost inarguable. I mean, it, we went from Fred Couples and Ernie Els a generation ago. Him or Adam Scott. And, yeah, Adam Scott. Uh, I mean, it just is. It's a great golf swing. And he's leading the PGA Tour in strokes game putting this year. Like, the fact that he isn't winning every single week, like, how, how is he not winning? He's got to try yeah. hard not to win. And so I, I always, I, I'm always a little conflicted in these situations because – we're talking about Louis Ostazen because he lost once again. And some would say <clears throat> the C word on 17, where he, he's driving it perfectly. I mean, he was picking up his tee before the ball hit its apex on most of his drives. And all of a sudden 17 hits one way left, which yeah. you can't do there, obviously. Um, sort of reminded 
of Zurich where you get into a playoff, he and Charles Schwartzel, and he blows one way right into the water in the first playoff hole. And it's like, it's over before it's even started. Yeah. Um, so he, he has proven himself to not be a closer. And I get that. But he also has proven himself to be good enough to get into the heat of the battle where we're talking about him. If he finishes in 18th place, if he's got six 18th place finishes at majors instead of six runner-up finishes at majors, we're not even talking about him. So I'm, I'm always conflicted, Justin, as to, you know, do you, do you bring up the fact that, hey, this guy is great. He gets himself into contention, which is really cool, which uh, it is, and all that's good. And you want to be a guy that gets into contention major championships. The more times you knock on that door, uh, the more chance you have of busting it down. But you also get there and you don't get through that door. And it's been six straight times now where he's been close. And for one reason or another, it just doesn't happen for him. Yeah. I think anecdotally, it's easy to call, to use the C word or um, to you know call him out for not coming through. But empirically, statistically speaking, it's an, it's an incredibly impressive achievement to be there over and over again. And you know me, I'm going to side with the numbers. You know, it's just, you know, I err on the side of you keep putting yourself in those positions over and over again. Eventually, you're going to break through and win another one. And, you know, it feels like if he wins another championship, another major championship, it's going to be another blowout. It feels like it's going to be a week where he shows up unheralded, no one really thinking about him, and he just kind of cruises to a lazy five-shot win. <laughs> That's kind of the way I feel about it. Like if it happens again, it's going to be – and it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. He's already won a major – I know it was 11 years ago, but he won a major championship by a zillion at St. Andrews. I just kind of feel like you know, he could fall into one of those weeks where he just blows everybody out. Um, you mentioned Fred Couples a little while ago. It got me thinking, you know, Louis Oosthuizen for years, uh, one of the things about him that was kind of interesting – and uh, you know maybe a little scary about his back he has a mattress shipped to his hotel if i'm not mistaken i don't know if he still does that yeah i don't know if he's still doing it or not well it's kind of like the the narrative around him but right it's but anecdotally it's a guy who's battled back issues is more the point than um you you mentioned fred couples that's kind of a apt comparison maybe you know one major championship syrupy swing back issues that may have thwarted him a little bit i know freddie got to number one in the world and won on the PGA tour a bunch of times, won a player's championship as well. But um, maybe there's a little bit of a similarity there in terms of the back and, you know, just that one major championship when a guy's as talented as that, you think he might end up with more. Yeah. And one more note on Louie, uh, I tweeted this out um, and it generated a lot of reaction, which I didn't realize that it would, but um, as I was leaving the interview area on Sunday evening, um, they were doing it. Ceremony might be like pushing it a little bit, but they had, a couple, you know, about five or 10 people from the USGA out there and they presented him with his runner up medal and, you know, kind of did this little like, congratulations, you are in the US Open in 2022 at the country club. We'll see you there. And they had him like smile for the camera. And there are a lot of players who were like, all right, hand me the medal, but I'm getting at it. Like I'm not taking pictures and shaking hands with people and stuff like that. Louis did the whole thing, class, grace, smile on his face the whole time. And I had a lot of reactions to it that people said, well, he got his 1.4 mil. So, you know, he should be happy about it. If you guys out there really think that Louis Oosthuizen, who just bought a farm in Ocala, Florida, that like is probably least concerned with money of any player on the PGA tour, quite honestly. Uh, If you really think that he walked off that golf course yesterday and said, eh, 
I got my seven figures. I got my monies. I'm cool. The like, people who think that the people who think yeah, that have right. never competed for anything. It's just it's ridiculous. You know, you, these are guys who this is their craft. You want to be the best at what you do, and that's why you compete. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to turn my nose up at a million dollars, but I mean, if you if that's the reaction you get out of that, then I don't know what to tell you. You just didn't. You you know, you're not a, you're not someone who likes to compete. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's you know, in the aftermath, you know, when on Tuesday when he looks at his bank statement and he sees the direct deposit went through and he's like, cool. Well, all right. I got some money. You out think of he actually like, even uses a bank app? Like even looks guys like that. I don't know. I don't know Louie well enough. Nice guy. <laughs> Spoke with a whole bunch. Yes, he's sense. great. Like literally he just bought a farm in Ocala. Ocala is like, it's farm country. He's going to go play at Golden Ocala, which is a great golf course. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to ride. His kids are going to ride horses. I believe he's got three daughters. And, uh, you know, they're going to live out. But, like, you don't move to Ocala, Florida, because you're like, yeah, man, I'm, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna build me a mansion. I'm going to, like, spend my money here. Like, no, like, it's not like he's not Anthony The value, The value in what he's doing for <laughs> it doesn't come. It's not because of that. Yes. Know? Yes. So uh, any other final thoughts on – this weekend, Bryson, Brooks, Rory. Uh, another, you know, Brooks Kepka is a major championship machine. I know he didn't win. And then Xander Shoffley now, five for five, top ten finishes in U.S. Opens. Crazy the last crazy. guy to start his career that way, Mr. Bob Jones. So pretty amazing start to his U.S. Open career. Tough that he didn't, you know, come through and get a win. It would have been kind of storybook to get in his hometown. But Xander's so talented that, you know, like I said, you keep putting yourself in that position. I'm the kind of guy who says – the numbers say you'll eventually break through and get a win. He's still young. So, um, yeah, those are the two other observations I have. Yeah, my, my two other favorite stories of the early week, uh, Richard Bland, which um, great story may go right off into the sunset as far as uh, his elite level golf over the next uh, however many years. He's 48 years old. We might not see him in this situation ever again, but uh, it was a really cool story to, to, to watch for two days. And then uh, – I love the fact that Matthew Wolf is not only back playing good, solid golf again, but he just spoke so well the entire time. Um, yeah. I interviewed him a bunch of times and like, he, yeah, I had some issues and now I'm happy and I'm smiling. Uh, I asked him at one point, I said, can you play good golf and still feel bad about yourself? And can you play bad golf and still feel good about yourself? And he's like, yes, exactly. That's kind of what I've been getting at is that, Yes, that can totally happen. So just because people see me and I'm like, oh, I'm on the PGA Tour and I'm making money and they think, wow, you must be really happy. That's not necessarily the case. But I can now feel like I can come out here and shoot 80 and still be like, hey, I got a smile on my face. I'm having a good time. So um, good to see him back in the fold. And if you're going to have some sort of midlife, mid-career crisis in the game of golf, do it when you're 22. And, you know, you can kind of just move on. I hope the same mid career for Matt Wolf. I hope we get to watch that, that <laughs> funky swing for about 30 more years, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good. Uh, we're gonna get to the travelers championship this week's event. Some of my favorite people in the world who run that one uh, through travelers. So um, can't wait for that. But first let's get to our five questions and they are travelers based and Connecticut based. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I gotta be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is Five Under. You and I were both Connecticut residents for, well, I was kind of a long time. You were a little less time, but you, you were still there for, what, more than three years? 
I was there for about four years, three and a half, four years. I had a huge, big-ass Chevy truck mm. that I drove around in Connecticut that stuck out massively. I was, uh, I did 14 years in Connecticut. <laughs> that's, that's, that's 14 hard winners, man. When you're living in Bristol, Connecticut, they say you, you did 14 hard years. Um, I mean, I you're, essentially, you're essentially a Florida boy now. I grew up in Houston. Yeah. I didn't know snow was supposed to stay there that long. I was you know, aware yeah. that it existed, but that's what they don't tell you is that the snow doesn't, it falls and then it just sits there for months and months. And to most people who experience four seasons growing up, you know, that makes sense. You know, there's a, that's what winter is. There are two seasons where I come from summer and hurricane. So there's, you know, we, we don't do snow. And I was a very rude awakening for me in the, in the winter of 08. The worst days you got, you and I were probably working the same, the same shift, but in different eras while we were at the four letter network. Uh, the worst part was coming into work at six o'clock. First of all, it's dark already when you, uh, when you leave your house at 5.30, come into work at 6, you work all day, you get done with work at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, you go out to your car, and not only has it snowed three feet in the eight hours, the nine hours you've been at work, but they've plowed, and essentially, now you've got a big old Chevy truck that you can just drive right over it, but they've essentially plowed you in <laughs> so you've got to like dig yourself out at 3 in the morning. That's when you want to ponder your place in life, it is at the ESPN parking lot in Bristol at 3.23 in the morning on January 17th when you're like pushing snow away from your car just to back out of the parking lot and drive, you know, 40 minutes on what should be a 12-minute drive back home. Through the I, did, I had a lot of, of 2 a.m. ESPN news in my life mm-hmm. around there, around age 23. Um, I don't know if I would have made it this far and made it through those years without PlayStation three and NCAA football, because I had a dynasty with the Missouri Tigers. I was like recruiting my grandkids. I was so far into the future. So um, yeah, a lot of, not a lot of socializing when you got the alarm clock to wake up set at three in the afternoon and four in the afternoon. And then, you know, you're in there all night, but it was a blast. Learned a lot. I loved being there. I know you did too. So Um, yeah, it was an awesome experience, but yeah, that, that time switch and the cold and the snow, those are some things I could do without. Yes. I, I don't think I could do it again. In fact, I know that I couldn't do it again. So, uh, <laughs> but we both live not too far from this week's festivities in Cromwell. And I understand that the following five questions could be completely self-serving for us and helpful to only a very small population of our listenership. And for that, I offer the rest of you a very half-hearted apology in advance. For I mean, it's such else, a big state. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, some guy right now is listening who lives in New Mexico that's like, cool, you guys are going to break down stuff right. in Connecticut? Wow, uh, really you can talk about the ESPN cafeteria. Let's get inside yeah. the beltway here. All right. All right. <laughs> well, I, I do assume that we've got a lot of competitors in the Travelers Championship field that are listening to the podcast right now. So you're welcome for uh, the upcoming questions. All right, let's get to it. Number one, and I don't know whether to qualify this, like just the central part of the, the state in Connecticut, or if we're going to the entire state, we can kind of translate however we want. If you can only eat one thing this week in Connecticut, what should it be? One thing in Connecticut. Well, if you're going the whole state, then it's pizza in New Haven, right? That, that's the that's slam dunk. Exactly that's exactly where I was going with it when I said, do we want to limit it to here or there? 
Yeah. yeah, I made it. Definitely made a couple of treks down to New Haven. Uh, it's a little bit of a drive from where I live by the ESPN campus, but um, if you're in Connecticut, I mean that's that's the way to go, right? Down around where Yale is, that that pizza in New Haven is it's about as good as I've had. I've never been to Italy or anything, but I mean, um, I'm a big fan. Really good. Uh, I will shout out Jay Timothy's wings. Oh yeah. Oh come on now. Yeah. Fantastic. Dirt wings. You get the dirt. So what they do. They like fry it, sauce it, and fry it again. Double fry. Yep. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's like a I'm a big wing guy. I don't know if you can tell just looking at my general face and body, but um <laughs> but I love chicken wings. Those are some of the best I've ever had. They are awesome. That's a great shout there, Jay Timothy's. Love so a couple of years ago, I was covering the tournament and um we're back in like I think it was in the interview area and I'm talking to Rex Hoggard from Golf Channel and a couple other producers. And I'm like, hey, we're all going to J. Tim's. It's going to be the best stuff you ever had. And I started, yeah. So I'm telling the exact same thing you just said. They double fry the wings. They sauce them up. And there's a police officer just standing right by security. And he didn't even hear what it, he heard, like, the back end of the conversation. Because we'd kind of, like, walk towards him. And I'm, all he heard was, like, double fry the wings. He goes, oh, you guys going to J. Tim's tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those, I, those are definitely um, – I think on top of the list. So again, all the players playing the travelers this week, uh, it's about 15, 20 minute trip. So make bring it, bring a whole crew. They'll bring, and you can get a, bu- literally a bucket and then they oh, yeah. flip it over. Oh, yeah. with the, oh it's a steam comes it's an experience, off. man. Yeah, it's, it's so fantastic. good. Um, all right. If you can only number two, if you can only gamble at one casino in Connecticut, which one should it be? Well, there's only, it's just Foxwoods, right? And Mohegan. Are there more? And then there's one. Oh, Mohegan, Mohegan, Mohegan. I'm yeah. sorry. Mohegan. I know yeah, if you had. Yeah. I mean, we're a gambling podcast. I didn't know if you had a lean on the better place to gamble. Yeah, you know, I didn't play a ton of cards when I was when I was that age. I play I play a little bit more now, but yeah, no. You, look, what is there to do on the weekends when you work at ESPN and you're in your twenties and single? You can go to New York and go to Boston. You can go to Mohegan. So yep. I mean, we definitely did that a few times back in the day. Me and a buddy still have stories that we tell where. We would hit rush hour traffic going through Hartford at eight o'clock in the morning, coming home from Mohegan Sun. So yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of that. By the way, um, I just played left center right with my kids and my wife. Uh, have you ever played that? Yeah, yeah, I played game? it before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like all. I never even heard of it before. We did it with uh, more money than I was playing with with my kids on a buddy's <laughs> golf trip uh, a few weeks ago. And as soon as we did, like you can't screw it up. Like you're yeah. you basically roll dice and they get passed around and you can, you, you're either giving money or taking money. And I, I mean, you can't like, there's no strategy involved. So it's a great, Hey, it's, it's late. We've had a couple of drinks. Yeah. I don't want to have to sit there and think about, am I the big blind or the small blind? And I'm a, and who's doing this? And whose deal is it? And all that. Like I want a game where we can gamble, but not have to think about anything. It's left center, right. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, for sure. And it's a if Google the game. If you're listening, it's, it's fun, good party game. Um, we definitely have played it cookouts at my uh, in-laws house. You can get like your, you know, like my nephew's like 13 now mm-hmm. he plays mm-hmm. too. It's simple enough for that too. It's uh, yes. yeah, it's yeah. good. It's, good it's one. The, the kids can play, but chips, you put quarters, whatever. And then I'll play with real money. Um, yeah. You can <laughs> definitely play that real with real money as well. And it's completely uh, down to luck. Okay. Question Teach my nephew a valuable life lesson about, challenging his uncle <laughs> if you could only play golf at one course in connecticut where should it be the place where i shot 
Look, this isn't a good golf answer, but the place where I shot the best round of my life. Ooh. Uh, eight years ago, I shot a 73 at Tunxis, yeah, which is a Tunxis. little public fun course. Not very difficult, obviously, if I went out and shot 73, <laughs> but I had a chance coming down the stretch to shoot par, even break par. And I think I like, bogeyed like two of the last four holes and missed a putt for, for 72. But um, that's what I'm picking, but it's nostalgic and selfish because, you know, a lot, a lot of good court, little fun public courses in the area mm-hmm. into the summer. And I mean, I know I played Tunks a lot. There's a course right by uh, ESPN that wasn't great, Hawks Landing, but it was cheap. Mm-hmm. And for someone who didn't have very much money, <laughs> it was a great place to go and go uh, either walk or ride 18. So a lot of good, a lot of good, sneaky, good golf courses in the area. Uh, my, uh, my answer is Tower Ridge, which is where I played oh, most yeah. of my golf when I was up there. Um, the problem is that if you're there this week and you'd like to go play some golf in the Connecticut area, maybe you're taking a little trip and you're like, hey, I'm going to go to the Travelers, but I'm going to play some golf in the mornings. Uh, it's no longer a golf course, uh, but I still recommend what? going there and play. Oh, no, it's been out of business for four years, maybe three years. It's just, I'm showing my, my age or the time yeah. it's been since oh, I, I went back and played. I mean, it was probably one of the last rounds there because the place was just, it, it was just dirt. It was a big uh, dirt patch and it was, yeah, it's a shame because it was a really good golf course back in the day um, that I would play with uh, all my buddies, all my buddies who back in the day were PAs together and working six to three and you wake up at nine in the morning, go play 36 and have a little lunch in between and all those guys are like big time ESPN executives now, which is crazy to me. Um, you know, guys who are like producing college game day and, um, you know, producing or running the SEC network and ACC network, stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, but I still, I have no idea what's there. It's probably condos and houses and stuff, but just make your own holes. Like just go play it anyway. So uh, there's a decent <laughs> chance the courses I listed aren't even there anymore. I hope Tunxis is still there. It's Tunxus a big facility. Like, so yeah, I think it was yeah. pretty successful. All right. Um, Number four, if you could only play one hole at TBC River Highlands, which would it be? And I, I am thinking specifically of if you're going to go crash the festivities this week. Um, guy picked like our guy, 13. the streaker. Yeah, he picked number 13 at Torrey Pine. I, I mean, well, he was hitting sideways. Five. He just went out there to, you know. You think he know. wasn't? Was that a he rant against the architectural indignities of Torrey Pines? I don't think, you know, I don't think that was high on his list. I don't think he had done, you know, the digging on, you know, strokes gained approach and the significance of it that week. I really think that maybe he had, you know, eaten 13 Stella Artois. And that was the, that was maybe his case that Bryson had that ball up against at one point in the round. That was, you know. How do you sneak a golf club into a PGA Tour event, into a major championship? That is an excellent question. I do not know. I, like there were security checks. I had to go bad. through security I, every day. I, like if I had a golf club bit with me, they'd be like, no, you can't bring a golf club. And in. you'll confirm this, but the security of the U S open traditionally is fierce. I'm talking like, even like in 2014, I remember at Pinehurst, like they, we were driving in the media a lot and they were checking our cars with like dogs and stuff. Like it was, it's typically like locked down. So I was kind of surprised to see, uh, see <laughs> that's a great question though, but how do you get a golf club out there? My favorite one years ago, I have sunblock in my bag. I have like the spray sunblock sunscreen. Yeah. And it's whatever US Open, I can't remember where it was, but it was like 100 degrees out, middle of June. And I said, no, it was like the airport. They're like, no liquids. What you, it's sunscreen. I'm going to cover a golf tournament. What are you talking about? No, nope, can't bring it in. You can, they go, you can use all of it if you'd like right now. Like, <laughs> I don't want to spray an entire bottle of sunscreen. Like, the, like it was completely irrational. And I'm like, what do you, what do you, 
like, no, I, I, I'm working here. This is my office for the week. I can bring in a liquid. The, and the liquid is not like, I'm not bringing in bottles of tequila. I'm bringing in sunblock. That's, Maybe the tequila okay. was approved. If you had two bottles of tequila, you might have been able to pay off the, uh, pay off the guy to let you bring the other one in. It's fair. That's very fair. Uh, I'm taking 15th off. Reason, so you can't just willy-nilly, you know, bring your sunscreen in. All right. If, you, if you're going to go crash the course this week and oh, the drivable par four, yeah, fifteen, yeah. Okay. yeah, the drivable par four, which I know for the pros is really it's not really a risk reward decision at this point. Everyone, I think it's it's always at this point it's like 95, 96% of players go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for me, who doesn't hit it as far, then I think that'd be that'd be the one I'd play. It's kind of a fun hole. I think the, it's water left, right? Where that's yep. the miss, it's really penalizing. Yep. Um, so naturally my shoulder would fly open and I would pull it into the water, but I'd have fun doing it. I played media day there a bunch of times, but the year after Stuart sink won, and Stuart sink, basically instead of going to like play golf with a bunch of other people, he like hung out on the 15th hole all day. And so we get up there and yes, we're playing one or two tee boxes up from where the pros play. But I get up there. I'm like, Hey, Stuart, watch this. And I knock one on the green. I mean, I've got 45 feet, but I'm like, Hey, I, I got it on. I crawled it onto the front of the green. So we're like, wow, what a great shot. That was really good. All right, I'm going to hit one if you guys want, you know? Yeah, well, you're going to have to put it on the green, Stuart, if you want to beat me. And he knocked like seven feet. And I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks. You asked for it. Yeah. There's a great spot at the Travelers if you're going out there this week. That It was my go-to for years. I think it's it, – if there's a hill behind around like 14T, I want to say, yep, where sure. there's like – got a beer tent nearby, snack bar – and then the hill kind of – you're able to see like three or four, four holes at once. It's a really good spot. It's around 14, 15. You'll know what I'm talking about if you head out there. Um, great viewing spot. That was where I made a beeline for every year when I went out as a fan. Yeah, I think 14 green maybe? 14 green. Maybe. It's in that – it's been a few years since I've been yeah. out there. But if you're in that region and you see a nice big hill with, you know, friendly beer tent next to it, that's that's, that's the spot it, Honestly, it's one of my favorite golf courses on tour, especially to like just walk and like watch golf on. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I can't wait. By the way, uh, I'll tell you a story. We're we're getting deep into the uh, TBC <laughs> River Highlands stories, but um, my favorite story from TBC River Highlands. I was working for Golf Channel at the time, and Jeremy Davis, who's uh, now my boss uh, at uh, SiriusXM, but he was um, at the time producing Morning Drive, and he sent me to travelers and he said on wednesday he said look i want you to do something fun from the golf course so you know do something with one of the celebrities like i don't want just not just like a two-minute interview hey you like golf huh he's like do something different like let's get something good for the show so bill murray's playing in it and i have this idea and i walk up to bill murray on the range i said hey bill i'm jason with golf channel and i don't have a producer i'm, I'm just kind of freewheeling i've got one guy who's a cameraman he's going to shoot it and that's it and it's just me I go up to Bill Murray. I said, hey, Bill, Jason with Golf Channel, I have this idea. Basically, I'm going to talk to you during the round. You just have to ignore me. And he looks at me good. Well, I can do that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. So I wait. We get about four or five holes in. And I walk up to him. And it sounded much funnier to me at the time. And looking back, it, it, the, the whole premise probably wasn't the funniest thing that Bill Murray's ever been involved in. Uh, but so I, you know, he teed off, I think it was four. And I start walking down the fairway with him. I said, Bill, what do you want to do tonight? You want to you go watch a game? You want to catch a movie? You want to go, uh, oh, we can go, you know, go out? Like, yeah. well, 
well, or I don't know. Well, I'll, you call me later or I'll call you. Okay, cool. And he, he did just what he said he would. He ignored me. And so a couple holes later, I give him a couple holes and then do the same thing. We go off to seven or eight and walk off the tee box. He said, Hey, Bill, what are you thinking for dinner tonight? You want to do uh, pizza? Want to do Chinese? Oh, we go out for steaks. All right, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah, cool. All right, good. You tell me. As I'm telling the story right now, it's it, not nearly as funny as I thought it was back then. Um, I'm wondering where you're going with this. Well, so I, I said, all right, I'm going <laughs> to do one more. Oh, I just thought it would be funny. Like, hey, I got Bill Murray without really getting Bill Murray. And then, you know, we'd show this like minute and a half little montage of me trying to get Bill Murray to hang out with me and do stuff with me. And then we'd come back and be like, ah, I don't know what happened to Bill. He must have lost my number or something. Ah, ha, ha. It'd be kind of, I don't know. It's different. It's funny. It's better than just, hey, we're here with Bill Murray at the Travelers Championship. And so when you said on, celebrity and Travelers Championship, I immediately just assumed that it was going to involve Boomer. Uh, Chris well, Berman. I've got so. those stories too. Hey, hey we, we yeah. know. I, the King of Cromwell. Everyone has a Boomer. Yeah. Some are better than others. Yes. Scott Van Pelt's is excellent. Yes. But, uh, by the way, to, don't don't step on my fifth question. I've, I've got question number five coming up. We're just this is an interlude for question number four. Um, so like thirteenth, fourteenth, all. Right, I'm going to do one more with Bill. I just need to get one more take. So I go up to him. Hey, Bill, what do you think we should do? And Bill's walking down the fairway, and this whole time, I'm like, either he's a really good actor because I said, hey, just ignore me, and he's ignoring me, which is he, he has not said a word to me the whole time, or He's like really not into this. So I got my answer. We're walking down, I think 14, start walking and we're walking down the fairway and he stops and he turns to his PR person. He says, if this fucking guy doesn't fucking leave me alone right fucking now, I'm walking (laughs) off the fucking golf course. (laughs) There you go. You got to the punch. Public apology to Mr. (laughs) Murray for everything I've, I've done to ruin his pro-am round eight years ago it's funny yeah. good work thank you <laughs> i think we used it and it uh, he was right it wasn't that funny <laughs> uh, you know they can't all be winners can they <laughs> i i could point out to bill hey so some of your movies you know just didn't really stand up over the not everything's been caddyshack so. bill hey you know no. All right, question number five. I mentioned we both worked at ESPN. If you can only meet one on-air personality, if you go to the Bristol Studios this week, who should it be? Only meet, is this like all time or? I mean, if you're, I don't know. These are hypothetical questions, really. And you've got to be in Bristol. So that eliminates some guys in LA. Scott Scott Van Pelt, who I mentioned, is in DC now. That's where I thought you were going to go. My boy Stanford Steve. Yeah, yeah. Um. Man, one guy there right now. I'll tell you somebody who is a great dude who I've been really happy to see his career grow, who's been there forever. I've been watching him on SportsCenter since literally I was in elementary school. But Steve Levy's an awesome guy. Mm. Um, he's I, I know he got the Monday Night Football uh, booth gig, which was a huge, you know, that's an awesome, obviously, achievement in, in broadcasting to be able to get that. I'll tell you a quick story about him. I – was working I was the overnight sports center researcher my first like three or four months there I don't know what I who I impressed to get that job but I was in way over my head I was like 23 years old I was the overnight researcher and the anchors every night were Steve Levy and John Anderson and uh you know I had just had it was like one of my fourth or fifth show by myself and I had the worst show I like messed up two graphics like 
I've got copy wrong about the White Sox place of the standings. Very important things that I'm really stressed out about as a, a 23-year-old research researcher at ESPN. Anyway, the next night I go by myself on my night off to watch baseball at a local, I don't think it was J Tim's, but another local wing place. And I guess I don't know if Steve heard me talking about it the night before, whatever it was. He walks in, sits down next to me. He didn't, he didn't say he was going to do it or anything. Sat with me, bought me dinner. We sat there, watched the Red Sox or Yankees game, whatever was on in front of us. Bought me wings. Nicest guy in the world. He's been on SportsCenter for 100 years. He's had 3 billion researchers like me. He had no need to do this, to be this kind, to a kid who was stressed out. And, you know, and he, he was great. So, um, probably not the angle you thought I was going to go, but, uh, he's an it. awesome guy. It. So if anybody, you know, give the dude his flowers, you know, cause he's, he's a, he's a, he's a great, he's a, he's really good at sports here. He has been for a long time and he's an even better guy. Yeah. Great answer. Love Levy. Um, haven't seen him that much over the last handful of years, but really good dude. I'll, I'll go boomer. Since you mentioned boomer, I was his producer. Hey. A lot of people my, in a former <laughs> life, I was boomers producer and, uh, my one of my favorite. I, I got a lot of story. I mean, I can go on and on, but yeah, uh, I've got some good ones yeah, about him yeah. too. And really genuine. My, my brother who wound up working at ESPN, he's 11 years younger than me. So I'm 24, 25 and producing boomers two minute drill that day for sports. And my brother's what 13 years old and he's walking around the building with me. The, he hasn't the, said a the word. Two minute drill air yes. quotes. Yes. Five and a half. So my brother hasn't said a word. He's like intimidated. And, you know, Boomer, of course, is like super nice to him and talking to him. My brother hasn't said anything the whole day. Finally, it's like we're six hours into it. He said, Mr. Berman, I have a question. He's like, yeah, of course. What, what's your question? What is it? I said, how come you call it the two minute drill when it's like six and a half minutes long? <laughs> I swear I didn't. I hadn't heard this before when I made that quip a minute ago. I, you knew it was coming. <laughs> Boomer looks at him and goes, eh. We got a lot of timeouts. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, he's the best. He honestly is the absolute best. I'll still get random text messages from Boomer just like, hey, soaps, what? <laughs> Travelers. Like that. It's basically the text messages, like in his voice. It's perfect. You have to read it that way. It's yes. Just part of it. Yes. All right. Let's get to this board here at the Travelers Championship. As All we've, right. uh, we've, Thoroughly neglected uh, 99% of the population that cares nothing about all our old Connecticut stories. But no kidding. Uh, Bryson is your tournament favorite at 12 to 1, followed by DJ at 13, Patrick Cantley at 16, Paul Casey at 18, Brooks Kepka at 18, Brian Harmon at 20, huh. Patrick Reed at 22, Scotty Scheffler at 25, Abraham Answer 28, Tony Fino 28, Kevin Strillman at 30. Neiman at 35, Siwoo Kim at 35, Matthew Wolf 35. It is a strange, uh, strange board. Uh, it's also, by the way, for an event that literally was almost off the schedule. Uh, this is years ago. This is 2006, 2008. Andy Bissett and the people of Travelers like ripped it from the jaws of defeat. I mean, it was, it was maybe going to turn into a Champions Tour event, but it was off the schedule. And they came in and they said, here, we'll throw some money at it. We'll do some things with charity. We'll get the community involved. And now we're They've looking got at concerts it like, at night. It's yes. it, the crowds yeah. are always great. It's it's really well run. It's a the, fun fan experience. Yeah. The area needs that. There's no, I mean, there's the Hartford Yard Goats. There's the Wolf Pack, you know, but it's not 
there's not big time. There's big time sports fans, a lot of whom are from New York or from Boston, from New England. Like, they need something there, and this kind of fulfills that a little bit. They have uh, they've gone from hey, we got it back, you know, the little tournament that could got it back on the schedule too. Yeah, we got Bryce, we got DJ, we got Cantley coming, you know, like Brooks. Oh yeah, Brooks is here too. You know, just, I mean, wow, like never would I have thought that this would turn into, I thought, you know, okay, they can sustain a nice little event in the heart of Connecticut, but wow. I mean, it's like they're getting these guys off the U.S. Open. I mean, these guys are yeah. are flying on charter flights to Connecticut. From, from San, San Diego. Diego. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> never thought that was ever going to happen. So really good feel that. Where are you looking from the top of this board right here? Uh, so it's interesting. Um, looking statistically at the things that have been significant on this golf course, it's kind of hard to extract any great information. So the average strokes gain rank of winners on this at this tournament since 2010, it's actually kind of down across the board in terms of comparing to the PGA Tour average. There's nothing that really sticks out. Approach play is actually significantly less important. Um, part of the reason of that is from 2016 to 2020, more than 6,000 approach shots at this tournament from 50 to 125 yards. You got a lot of short approaches, a lot of wedges into greens. Only two PGA Tour courses had more in that span. Pebble Beach, the shortest golf course basically in professional golf, and Silverado. So you're going to have a lot of shots from 50 to 125. It's it, So there's an interesting mix of guys who've had a lot of success here, guys who hit it a mile and are able to hit their wedges well and win that way. But, I mean – Ken Duke won this golf tournament in his late 40s. Corey Pavin almost won it the year Bubba Watson won it in 2010. I mean, there's a really interesting dichotomy of players all over the board, which is a long way of saying this is a tough tournament to pick. I mean, um, I, you know, you got to like about 63 holes of what Bryson DeChambeau did last week. Um, Dustin coming off a win here last year. Interestingly enough, DJ drove it horribly in this tournament last year. He was almost – like 50th and strokes gained off the tee and he won which is really interesting considering what we know dustin johnson for and then a guy who i probably like most at the top of the board is going to be patrick cantley um had an awesome he was a shot of 60 here as an amateur 10 years yeah, ago yeah, almost um, hold out on nine for with his last hole for a 59 yeah the last five years he's second in scoring average here to paul casey who's fourth on the board um i think cantley's probably where i go here a few weeks after his win at the Memorial. I wonder what you like at the top. Okay. So first of all, Cantley's a fade for me and I didn't okay. look at the final stats from Tory, but, and I get it. He just won. And I get that I'm putting myself out there for ridicule, but Patrick Cantley's putting stroke to me looks absolutely atrocious right now. He's bringing this that putter Memorial. head. Back. I know Rama had the big lead, but he's getting that putter head back 18 inches, completely deselling at impact it's like, ee, like, I don't even want to watch it. Like, yeah, when it's a little it can still go breath. in and it goes in. And when it goes in, you're like, you're kind of surprised that it goes in. And when it doesn't go in, you're like, oh my God, that looks awful. And I get it. Like he wasn't putting much differently two weeks ago and he won. So I, I completely understand that my eyeball test is, uh, does not hold any weight against the analytics and the data and everything else that we have these days. But I, I just, don't want a part of him when he's putting like that. It just looks so bad to me. So I'm ignoring the visual aspect. And I mentioned the statistic about the shots from 50 to 125. Mm-hmm. Kayla, since the beginning of last season, is among the leaders in scoring when he's in that situation, 50 to 125 yards away from the hole. So um, I think maybe he'll put himself in enough 
that putting stroke doesn't, it's not too nervous. You can get it to four feet, three feet, you know, with those, those close approaches. So um, I still kind of like him statistically going into the week. I'm trying to find the, uh, find strokes gain from Tory Pines right here. You probably have it. I, I, I'm not looking at it right now, right away. I will say too, the guy at the top of the board has a lot of really impressive numbers in this tournament for the last few years. 37 under par the last three years of the Travelers, best of any player. Paul Casey's second at 35 under. 5.2 birdies or better per round for Bryson at the Travelers the last three years. That's the best of any player. So he's got some good some good numbers going in for this tournament in terms of past history. And if you just ignore the 44 he had on the back nine at Torrey Pines, you know, you'd be you're flying high here with the guys at the top of the board. But yeah. I like can't lay a little bit more with his value at 16 to 1 more okay. so than All right. I – I kind of, I still like Casey again. I actually think Casey coming off a major um, should play better. I, I don't know why I keep going back to the Casey well time after time, but I still like it. By the way, Brian Harmon is one of those numbers that you stare at it and you look at, wait, he's <laughs> shorter odds than Patrick Reed and Scotty Scheffler and answer and Finau and Neiman. Like why? And then you stare at it long enough. You stare at it long enough. And you're like, I don't know. Somebody knows something that I don't know. So maybe I should just, play him this week even though that doesn't make any sense um tied yeah. for third in birdie average of this tournament the last three years nearly won a few years ago when bubba watson won in a monsoon uh i think it was like 2017 when that happened um has got some good history on this golf course you know lefties have succeeded in the past year too i don't know if it's something to do with shot shape or whatever it is but you know with bubba breaking through and getting his first win winning here twice um Harmon's nearly won here you know some interesting history there with left-handed players um, honestly, most of my favorite players here are in this mid-tier. Keegan Bradley, I've been waiting for him to pop if he puts pretty well, which he usually does in the New England area. I mean, this is, you know, sort of a home game for him going back to New England has a lot of fan support. He's 45 to one this week. Bubba Watson, look, I I get the whole course history thing. Brian Harmon's 20 to one. Kevin Strillman's 30 to one. What I don't get is if they're 20 to one and 30 to one, why is Bubba Watson a three-time champion 50 to one? I'm with you. Um, played pretty well for a few days. I, that's a big number for Bubba. Um, and then the two guys that I had targeted for a while, Justin Rose was terrible last week. Went yeah. 78-77 at Torrey, a former champion there, the Farmers, and uh, missed the cut by a mile. I went back and looked. Justin Rose tends to bounce back really quickly. He had no form. He was off for five weeks after withdrawing from the API and was 36-hole leader at the Masters, finished in seventh. Then he missed the cut at Tampa and finished eighth at the PGA. <laughs> well, now he's coming off a badly missed cut at Torrey. And so I, I just think con- conventional wisdom says, all right, well, fade him once again. He just tends to bounce back from these things. And I liked him going into Torrey. And so I still like him now. 55 to one, I think is a huge number on Justin Rose. I don't feel great about it, but I, I'm not really sure I like anybody else much better. And then Ricky Fowler announced on Monday that he and his wife, Allison, are due with the couple's first child later this year. So congratulations to the Fowler family. And I think Ricky's going to start playing some really good golf. I, I like him to be in the mix. He's 70 to one. Not sure I'm taking him outright, but for a top five, top 10, I think he's a nice play. Some good value. I, I know I'm with you on the Rose number at 55 to one. That's exorbitant. I mean, that is a huge, huge number. Um, Fowler, I think basically the last time we saw him was when he contended the PGA. I mean, it's the last time he really – you know, got to watch Ricky play and he looked like a new man, you know, looked like somebody who's ready to turn the corner. So I, I um, he was, wasn't he top 10 at Memorial too? Maybe he was, was he top 10 at the more? I got the order of it switched up in my head, I think. 
been a lot of golf here the last uh last so much going last on. five six days but no i do like i do like that value as well um cameron smith is interesting. he, he went eighth at bj 11th at memorial sorry 11th at memorial cameron smith is interesting to me as well at 50 to one mm-hmm. um i think he missed the cut at tory pines last week um snapped his streak of, of made cuts and majors is one of the longest going but you know a guy with such an enormously high ceiling um you, you know he could succeed on any golf course so um, and with his short game, you know, around here, I think is going to be very helpful. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I like a lot of the value, a little bit lower down the board. Um, I tend to see a little bit more, you know, that Rose pick I like. Uh, Fowler's a good one, too. Anybody further down? I'll give you a couple of names for, and again, for different platforms, not necessarily just outrights, but uh, top 10s, top 20s, DFS plays. Adam Long is starting to play some good golf, 26 or better his last couple of starts. He's a streaky type player. I think he can get... Something going this week. Uh, Harry Higgs. We've seen Higgs play uh, well recently. He was top five at the PGA. Aaron Wise. I'm not sure if it's a great course for him, but I'm waiting for Wise to pop really soon here. I think he's going to win something. So, um, hey, could be this week. And then uh, two other names. Francesco Molinari starting to play some good golf. This should be a really good golf course for him. And Taylor Gooch, who uh, you talked about those scoring clubs, those uh, wedges into the greens here. He's uh, a very good mid and short iron player. So I think Gooch could have a nice week as well. Not too far down the board, but kind of a place where I don't expect to see him. A guy who's won on this golf course before. Mark Leishman doesn't have a top 20 finish since the Masters, but I think it's 70 to 1. There's a lot of value there for him for a top 10, top 20. Maybe not necessarily a win, but he's got you know good memories there in terms of all the success he had. I led everyone astray with Carlos Ortiz last week. I mean, I was yeah. really high on him in terms of value, how we had played at Tory in the past. Let's go back to the well again. Let's see maybe if Carlos can bounce back and have a good week. Why not? I just, let's just double down like it's a, a bad night at the, at the tables and I'm just trying to get back to even. But um, Adam Scott is 75 to 1. These are really – these are strange odds. These, these they really are. Off the board to me as well. Um, Adam hasn't had a great season, but um, at that value, he's still Adam Scott. So, um, And a guy you mentioned earlier, a guy who's won on this golf course – is having a renaissance season, is a two-time winner on tour this year. Stuart Sink is 100-1. to one. Um, I think that's there's some value there in that. Uh, there's a lot of – some more interesting names there. Um, Adam Hadwin, another one, 100-1. to one. Kevin Ooh, that's a good one. I can get talked into Hadwin. Patrick yeah, I, Rogers playing some good golf now, 200-1. to one. That, that's, that's a crazy number for him too. So, um, But the Leishman number really surprised me at 70-1 to one for a guy who's won here in the past – um, you know, t- finished tied for the Masters. Hasn't played great since then, but um, certainly has the capability to win again. Yeah, I I pretty much like fading the top of this board. I mean, if you're playing DFS and you want to throw a Cantley or a Bryson or you know even a Scheffler or whoever into a lineup, I'm fine with that. Uh, I think mine are going to be mostly balanced through that upper mid tier um, of players that I mentioned earlier. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, 
Plus, they're compatible with BetSync. So when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Speaking of DFS, let's get to our lineup this week. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. We're on to Cromwell. We're on, We're on to Cromwell. Cromwell. If, uh, you want to kick it off? Yeah, why not? Let's go with looking at the board. A guy you like a lot this week, seventy nine hundred for Keegan Bradley. I think that's a great value. Um, a guy like like we've said in the past, and he's even admitted as much. If he's just flat even in strokes gained putting, he's one of the best ball strikers on the PGA Tour, one of the best in the world. Just got a putt average, and he's going to play well. So give me Keegan Bradley at seventy nine hundred to get us started. Yeah, I like that a lot. The recent results for Taylor Gooch. Huh. 18th okay. of Memorial, 14th at Colonial, 44th at Kiowa, 39th at the Nelson, 26th at Quail. The guy's good. Fifth of the players, 12th at Riviera. The guy's a really good player who gets absolutely no love from sort of the mainstream media, mainstream marketplace. I, I'm going Taylor Gooch at, at 7000 on DraftKings. I think it's a really nice play this week. That's a great price for Taylor Gooch. I'm going to go now. Another guy who I think is an awesome value. You mentioned him earlier. Tied for eighth at the PGA, 11th at the Memorial. Uh, Ricky Fowler's a great price, I think. I think this is a guy who's going to you – know, we know what his ceiling is. It's top 10 player in the world, major championship contender. Um, Ricky Fowler at 7,300. I'll not be surprised if he contends this week. Not at all. There is no other week where I would ever suggest spending 9,400 in a DraftKings lineup on Kevin Streelman. I mean, I, I guarantee that Kevin Streelman's Maybe been Pebble. in. Maybe He loves much, Pebble. Yeah, he loves Pebble. I guarantee he's been in much more inferior fields and been $1,000 less on DraftKings. But the guy, he, he won there in one of the most unbelievable back nine performances that we've ever seen. Like, he just birdied everything. Seven um, straight birdies to win. First guy yeah. in the history of the tour to do that. Second place last year, which I'd kind of forgotten about. Um, but he was solo second last year. Spoke of them the other day, and this is really uh, – forget the core stuff. He's, like, got this zen aura around him right now. I said, like, Kevin, you're, like, in a really good spot. He goes, look, my family life is great. My wife's awesome. My kids are great. They're not traveling with me as much, but I'm 42 years old. Young guys call me grandpa. I love it. I'm kind of a mentor to a few of those guys, and I'm just out. I'm playing good golf. I'm just having a great time and life is really good. And I'm just enjoying myself. I'm like, Whoa, that's like, you, you can throw all sorts of strokes gained data at, at you can't strokes gained intangibles is uh, really in Streelman's favor right now. And I just think he can show up at this golf course and play really well. And I, I think he's uh, in a really good headspace right now. I like it. Okay. 9,400. 
like you said, rare that you would spend that kind of money on him at any other golf course. But uh, we've left up. We got 18-4 left for our last two spots. I'm going to pick a guy who you really like this week. I like him a lot, too. On the other side of 40, but it's had a lot of great success on this golf course. Best scoring average of any player at the Travelers Championship the last 10 years belongs to Mr. Paul Casey. So at 9,900, he's going to be my last pick. That leaves you a pretty nice chunk of change for number six, 8,500. I actually thought as you were describing that, I thought you were going to go with the other guy. Then I was going to go Casey because it actually matches up pretty well. But you take Casey. I'll take the other guy who happens to be Justin Rose at 8,400. Again, I just there's tremendous value on Rose. Rose's results are so weird right now. Okay. So you look at DraftKings. Uh, when you click on the game log, they actually give you like kind of where he finished, which is a nice problem, not just missed cut, but so he was 142nd after two rounds of the U.S. Open. Before that, he finished 20th at Colonial, 8th at Kiowa, 134th at the Valspar. He missed the cut by six shots. 7th at the Masters, withdrew from the API, 54th at concession in what, like a 70-man field. Second, when he played the Saudi Internet. I mean, it's like it's all or nothing. And a Feast lot of that, a, bit. a lot of those good results are directly after a poor result. It's like he plays bad and then goes, oh, I shouldn't play bad anymore. Let's play good. And he goes and just turns it around. So I'm going Justin Rose. I wonder if the injury is still bothering him off and on when he withdrew from the Arnold Palmer. Maybe that's to explain for a little bit of the inconsistency, maybe not working on his game as much or I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but it's an interesting question maybe for anybody who's you got an injury and you got some kind of up and down results. You know, it's kind of natural to think that. I've spent some time with Justin Rose. There has been no sign of injury. Um, spent That's some good. Quality time with him at Kiowa. Also, I believe that I, and I heard this secondhand, so I, I hate going, but he has gotten one of those, like the RV that like Jason Day and Jimmy Walker and those guys like <laughs> travel in. Like that's like their home on the road. Justin Rose has gotten one of those and essentially made it his own equipment trailer or uh, his own physio trailer and okay. use that to like, Hey, I'm on the road. Let's like, you know, I can, I can go out and train. Like, you know, it's got like a whirlpool in it. It's got like weights and it's got all this stuff. And, I mean, if you talk about a guy who's committed to, Hey, I'm going to go out and play some really good golf over the next five or 10 years and really finish my career off the right way. That's a commitment right there. I mean, that's more than Louis Ustase and, Bringing a mattress to his hotel mattress, every week. Yeah. So, um, I like that. Okay, that's a lineup. Keegan, Casey, Ricky, Gooch, Rose, Streelman. By the way, I was looking also, if you don't like Gooch in that spot, Ches Reevy, whose name I didn't mention, but uh, the winner two years ago, and he's very quickly starting to trend in the right direction. He played really well at the Monday qualifier, the sectional for the U.S. Open, got through, then finished 14th at – Congaree and then 40th last week on a golf course that really didn't suit his game. This course suits his game much better. So I think Ches Reevy is starting to trend in that right direction right now. So I like him as well. Had some good ball striking numbers early in the week at the U S open too. Well, a lot of times Ches hits the ball and it goes in. That's, holes the out a lot. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. That's what you're supposed <laughs> to do, but it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> Shout out to the nutmeg state. Shout out to all the people that are still doing hard time. From Connecticut, the 860. (laughs) Love you, Justin Ray, Jason Sobel. Thanks for listening, guys. Good luck with all your Travelers Championship bets this week. Here's hoping you hit the green. We're finished talking.